Dusty's like, yeah, Dusty reads a lot or watches weird videos because this is going to get weird. So here's Harold Camping. Ham, uh, this is back in 1994. It's September 6th, and Harold Camping predicts the end of the world. He says on September 6, 1994, the end will be here. You can imagine the, the people, you know, the build-up to this moment. And then September 4th passes. He's like, oh, guys, I misread something. It's September 26th. And the number of days in between lead up and nothing happens. And then, oh, one more thing. It's actually October 4th. And so people wait. And October 4th comes and it doesn't happen. And then it's a decade later where he comes to say, you know what, guys, actually, it's May 21st, 2011. And what's going to happen is that's going to be the moment in which a rapture is going to come, and all the Christians are going to be lifted up into the skies, and then for five months, there is going to be just complete chaos on earth. Things are going to burn. People are going to die, and that will last for five months, and then the end will truly come. Well, we stand here now knowing that none of that came, but Maybe if you don't know Harold Camping, you remember Y2K? Yeah, okay, there we go. Got water, like, all, like so it was like a whole thing that, like, everyone was thinking, we're going to go into the millennium, and all of our technology has been synced to uh, 1900s and forward up to this point, and once you go to 2000, everything's going to fall apart. Like, everything that we know is going to crumble. And so what did people start to do? They started to buy water and oats and started to, like, build bunkers in their house and buy a ton of guns. Like, I mean, they just freaked out and panicked and did a ton of things. Now, hindsight says we can look at this and say, like, well, this, this is kind of nuts. This is kind of crazy. But I wonder for you, what do you do in uncertain times? What, what do you do when you don't feel like you have the answers? What do you do when things feel unstable? And how does it control who you are and what you do? I, I have a, a graph graph to help us. I put this together. I also draw on stick figures, so don't be too impressed by this. But I think this is what happens. This is, this is my determination, okay? You may agree with me, you may not, and that's totally okay. But as uncertainty goes up, you and I want more certainty. When things are uncertain, I will find a way to be certain. Uh, next one, here's another one. Discomfort. When things are uncomfortable, I will do whatever it takes to find comfort. Whatever it takes. Maybe one more, loss of control. When, I, when I'm actually out of control, when I don't have control of the environment around me or other people, I will find ways to gain control. And then another one is the NFL season goes on, the Cowboys just keep losing. Anybody a Cowboys fan? Oh, we, oh, we, there's two, okay. Uh, well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So how do you, we'll have the prayer team forward after this. It'll be, it'll be great. Um, you can get prayer. But, but honestly, I, I, I think through my own life, and, and maybe like this, maybe you text a friend, you send a message of some sort, and maybe like the three bubbles pop up, and then they don't respond. And you're waiting. It's like, are they going to, I just like poured my heart out, or like I just asked them something really timely. And, and then the three bubbles pop up again, and then they, they go away. And then you just start to make up. Do they, do they not like what I just said? Are we still friends? Do they hate me? Am I a bad person? We just start making stuff up because our brains need answers. We need certainty. It's very uncomfortable to sit in this tension of not knowing what my friend is thinking on the other end, so I want to find comfort. So I text back really quick. Hey, I uh, just want to make sure you got me. And I just start to, or maybe you guys ever interact with WebMD? 
Like, think about that. You go to your doctor saying, here's all the things that I learned about online about this thing that I'm feeling in my side. Can you prescribe this medication for me? And all of a sudden, because you scrolled the internet for a bit, because you're uncertain about what's going on, you need answers. And the list can just go on and on and on of the areas in which we respond to uncertainty. Now, right now, we don't have a, a Herald camping in our midst, and maybe Y2K is not the next thing, but we did just have COVID, and, and that was another one that, that sparked a lot of things. But just outside of COVID, I, we're just in a crazy season in, in, in some way. So if, if you think back four years ago and now coming up, we have presidential cycles, and it, it could be really easy right now to look at our geopolitical climate, to, to look at, at race and, and culture divides and tensions, to look at the just continued warming of our climate and what that may result in one day, to think about wars, talking about nuclear power at the press of a button, as the housing market continues to sway and go up, there's, there's economic instability. I mean, I, I can get why a Herald Camping wants to find a date to say this, this has got to end at some point. And, and maybe like you and him and myself, it, it could be fair to ask the question, is this the end? Is this the end? When, when does this stop? Now, for thousands of years, if we've looked at the scriptures, anybody read the book of Revelation before? Yeah, so the book of Revelation. Oftentimes, is a book of a very apocalyptic nature and end times scenarios and trying to predetermine what's to come. But our, our spiritual saints throughout the centuries have continued to look at it and not just project what might come, they actually have a belief that it's more so apocalypse now. So that's what we want to do over the next handful of weeks is actually journey through the book of Revelation with a lens that asks the question, is this just for the future? Or is this just for now? So here, here's an example. I'm going to read a tidbit here, and then the rest will be on your screen. But oh. listen to these words. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze growing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. What in the world is going on? Revelate, this, this might be the softer part, but wait until we get to the moments of the beast with the eyes on the back. And there's blood in the streets. And it, there's the Antichrist like, book of Revelation at plain sight. Now, when, when you read that and you think of all of these, these things that maybe are not seen or unnatural to our mundane ways throughout life, very quickly, in an uncertain scripture without clear answers, I can try to find certainty. Because I want to make sense of, let's call it the chaos that I am reading about. And very quickly, I can become, again, like a herald camping. Because I can read these things, and not being able to sit in the mystery of the unknown from a book 
has been written thousands of years ago to a different cultural context than you and I. Now, for you and I, it might make sense to put ourselves at the center of it because we're narcissistic Western people and everything revolves around us and everything is written to us and everything is for us. How do we make sense of an ancient text like this that is foreign to the ways that we read and understand most of life? And, and then we have a Harold Camping who, who wants to determine when the end is. He, he wants to determine maybe who the Antichrist is. He, he wants to determine what political party has the next savior of the world. He wants to determine the newspaper articles that say that it's the end on this date. What do we do with that? How do we, how do we sit in the tension of these things that are unknown, that are absolute mystery for us? Kelly, what's my next slide? Like Daniel, I didn't write notes, and I forget things also. So these are my notes. Can we, there, yeah, let's get Harold Camping out of there. I'm, I'm, I think I'm done with him. Uh, but look, look at this. So we, we just read uh, a bit of some unknown text that we don't really know what to do with, and there's these imageries of like a sword coming out of a mouth and these lampstands. What does that even mean? But if we back up a little bit, what's interesting is we have a gentleman by the name of John, John of Patmos, and he's been exiled to an island. Uh, the religious leaders don't know what to do with him, and the Roman government wants to execute him, so they've just moved him on to an island. He's, he's a pastor, he's led churches, but he's also disrupted a lot of things, and so he finds himself alone, isolated, nearing his death with no escape. And he says this at one point, I, John, your brother and companion— so first glance, he, he's like writing as if he knows you and I. I if I'm going to write to someone and I say that, I, John, I'm expecting you to know who I am by my name, and then I'm going to say your brother, so we're in a deep relationship, and I'm, I'm going to companion with you. Like, we've done some life together. And the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that, ours, that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Next slide. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Say that seven times fast. But So we, we take this idea that Revelation is the book that's going to predict the end times, to predict the Antichrist, to predict the presidential elections, to predict, to predict, to predict. But... John seems to be writing to a group of people that he's in a relationship a couple thousand years ago for them. So now, while Revelation is an apocalyptic book that oftentimes says that we're working with something that is prophetic, some, something where God has chosen to work with people and through people over time, showing them a heavenly perspective to their current realities, oftentimes when they are in t some time of crisis, oftentimes when they are in some time, some point of crisis, that, that God is trying to show them something in their time. So we start there with the book of Revelation to say that it was written for a certain people. How do we now learn from what was being written to those people? And it, it's really interesting because I think about these two people. We have Dietrich Bonhoeffer and we have Martin Luther King Jr. And I was going to come up with a longer list. I think these might be two that we would probably, most of the room would be semi-familiar with. Um, and here on the left, we have Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was uh, a theologian, a, a pastor, a, a leader of the Christian, Christian church, and uh, his era was Nazi Germany. And he actually did work to fight 
and actually ended up plotting a plan to carry out killing Hitler and got very close to doing so, eventually to be executed. And then, then you have Martin Luther King Jr., who really was at the, the heartbeat of the, 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 the civil revolution, actually upending racism and, and pulling the structures out that are disenfranchising people of color and trying to push against the powers that were eventually to be assassinated. And, and what's interesting is these two people read the same book of Revelation that Howard Camping did. What do you do with that? And Howard Camping led a national radio service across the U.S., a Christian national radio service. So he's, he reads the scriptures. He's a part of a church. He, he does these things of, of being a Christian. And then you have these two who who never actually looked at the book of Revelation to try and predict when the world is end, but, but looked, at the looked at Revelation to ask, what was God communicating to the seven churches through John of Patmos, and how is that connected to us? What does that actually mean for now? I'm sure you know much more of their stories that I'm going to have to explain, but what do, we, what do we do with that? We have nationally and worldly recognized people reading the same book, doing different things with who's Who's right? And what, what, do, what do we do with that? Anybody grow up going like, to like doctor's offices every once in a while, a dentist, and go get your annual checkup, something like that? Do you, do you remember the image that was on the wall oftentimes? Anybody? It looked something like this. Anybody remember the name of it? Magic Eye. Magic Eye. I'm curious to see how many of you are trying to figure it out right now. I tried it from here, and I could do it. I tried it from back there, and I couldn't. So, good luck. Um, this would be a magic eye poster. And they were on, oftentimes, doctor's offices. That's probably where I got to know them the most. And then they would actually sell, like, booklets and catalogs and different things. And as I, as I read the beginning of, of Revelation, I thought about the magic eye poster. And how, on plain sight, I don't even know what's happening right now. It's like one of those paintings by an artist that sells for millions, and it's just like, it looks like you threw paint on there. Not, I'm not discrediting art, okay? But that's what, I, at first glance, I look at this, and I have no idea what's going on, and all I can perceive from this is a bunch of colored dots on the image, and that's about it. Cool. And I walk away. But, but if you've ever experienced a magic eye poster, wh what are you supposed to do? Anybody? You're supposed to see a three-dimensional image. And how do you do that? What's the playbook? You stare through it. How do you even do that? How do you stare through something? Sometimes I feel like Caitlin is staring through me, usually after a dumb comment, but... What we're to do is to, we're to look at this image, and on plain value, we say, okay, that's what I see. I don't really understand what's going on, but that's about it. But then if I sit in front of this image long enough with my eyes crossed, right, the same eyes that your parents would tell you, like your face is going to get stuck like that, like you now had to sit in front of this image, cross your eyes, and just stare at it. And then all of a sudden, this other thing would kind of start being seen, and and then what's weird is, like, once you can see it, cross-eyed, you uncross your eyes, and it's still kind of there. You've you got to stay focused, but now you never actually see this image the same again. Can anybody see what it is yet without saying it out loud? 
I know y'all are trying. Everyone's looking at me cross-eyed. Okay. I think, I wonder, if this is what God might be up to with the book of Revelation. And then I even wonder more. Could this be what Jesus is up to with you and I in the entirety of our lives? Because what a, what a magic poster says is, is there's a reality that we can see and there's a reality that we cannot see. That there's, there's more to the story than what we can see on first glance. That in each of our lives, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our finances, in our mental health, in, in, in everything that is going on, I can see something. But could it be that there's more to the story than what we could just see? Could it be that, that God is actually working in the midst, but it takes us to sit there uncomfortably to cross our eyes and stare at it long enough? And then eventually we start to see the image more clearly and we can almost uncross our eyes. What's going on in your life right now that at plain sight just doesn't make sense? That might hurt, that you don't like, that you feel pressed on? What's going on in your life right now that just sucks? Because what's interesting is John of Patmos is writing to a persecuted people group. The early Christians were, were under the boot of Rome to say. Their own religious leaders were disowning them. These people who had been following this new life of, of Jesus. They were oppressed. They were starting to like, be torn from their families because they didn't want to be a part of them. They would lose careers over this. Many would be killed. You're entering into something that is uncertain that is out of your control, that is highly discomforting. And he's writing to them. Kelly, what's my next slide? Thank you. And he says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. See, John of Patmos is, is sitting there, having lived his life as full as he knew it, having made sense of as many things as he possibly could, and now he is there writing to a church that is persecuted. And a person, a, a being, God shows up to him so powerfully that he falls at his feet. What John knew to that moment was everything that he could ever see, and now he stepped into another dimension that God invited into him that he actually could not see working in the, situ in the situation. He tells him to pick up his pen and write. Write the things that are going on behind the lives of your people that they do not see. So what I want to do, like our magic poster, is just give us a moment. I don't know what you need from this morning. I really never do. Um, but I just want to give us a little bit of space just to process. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a selected text from Jesus. And I'm just going to allow you to sit with it, and I just have one question to each one. So we'll sit with each of these for about a moment. So now I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of work, to settle in for a sec. So just be ready to, to reflect, to allow God to just speak to you for a moment. You may want to do this, eyes closed, maybe not, I'll read it out loud. 
but by way of holding Jesus' words up to you like a magic poster, a magic eye. Hear these words. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which way would your friends and coworkers describe you right now? Exalting yourself or humbling yourself? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In what ways may you be finding comfort, security, and value in the things that you can have Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Are you strategizing how to get even, withholding forgiveness, taking someone down a peg? Or are you finding ways to bless those who seem against you? This one's fun. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Is God too much in the image of yourself? Does he pretty much agree with you and just pat you on the back, everything that you think? Does he look like you, think like you, talk like you? Is he just your best friend? Or are you allowing him to challenge and convict you? To press on you, to squeeze you, to make you something into more than you could ever imagine? See, now, like our, our magic eye poster again, I think of how many times I, I miss God because I'm looking at my circumstances just the way in which I can see it. I'm looking at my relationships, I'm looking at others, I'm looking at my validity, I'm looking at my resources, I'm looking at my neighborhood, I'm, I'm looking at all the things that I'm up to in life. I look at my own desires, my own need for status, 
the, the things that I want. And as, as I can see them, they're either going my way or they're not. But again, as, as John of Patmos writes to a people who, who really couldn't press into their wants or do- desires, and, and as they went against them, they did it at the risk of being killed and murdered and separated from family, but they believed that there was something spiritual going on behind the natural, that there was more to their life than what they could see, and they were willing to be guided by that. Because of John of Patmos' vision saying that there is a God who is breaking in that is saying, I am the one, I have the keys over death and Hades. I have gone and done work before you to invite you into life with me, and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to make sense all the time. You're going to pay for it in some way, shape, or form. But it's because I have more for you than you can do on your own. The things that you think you want, the things that you just desire most, are not the ways that I have for you. May you ask me. May you sit with me. May you look at me like a magic eye poster long enough to sit there uncomfortably with your eyes crossed and say, God, what are you doing behind this scenario? And then what starts to happen is when we get the medical diagnosis, when we find employment, when the relationship breaks up, when, when all the things that are not going our way, that hurt and are the worst and we want to avoid because it is the worst, that there's still a God who is at work and is inviting us into more. There's a God who does not negate the pain and the challenges and the suffering that you find yourself in. He's with you in that. And at the same time is saying, I am still at work. And so this morning, you might be feeling good. You might be feeling real good. Things are going your way. The book of Revelation is a challenge to that, saying, if you think everything is going your way, you might be missing something. Harold Camping may have had it all going his way, and that's where he felt confident enough to predict something. But I wonder if those who may not be having it go their way, the way that we see it in this world is that those that have it going their way have it, and those that don't have it going their way don't have it. What if we get to the end and it's different? Because the things that we can see are not always the things that God is up to. May you and I grow at sitting in discomfort, the pains of our lives, the challenges, the ups and the celebrations. May we pause, hold the life of Jesus in front of us and stare at it cross-eyed until it hurts. And every time we do that, we can start to pull away a little bit and we can continue to see that image. It starts to look something like this. If you stare long enough, you actually see an image embedded inside the image. I looked everywhere to try and find that image to show up still in the things, but it wouldn't happen. But that's it. You see through what you can see naturally, and God shows up supernaturally. What does it look like for you right now? To pause, pick up a situation in your life, whether it's hard or whether it's great, and invite Jesus into it. Ask him to speak.